Welcome to another episode of the Nodotaku Gaming Podcast. Today we have another special guest, Sam Tech Girl Wright. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. So um, just for the people who may not be aware of you and what you do, would you mind just giving a brief or long <laughs> introduction of yourself? Okay, cool. So I am an esports shark caster. I started uh, commentating about four or five years ago, to be honest. I was involved in games way before that and esports, but four or five years ago is when I, I started swinging a mic for once of a better term. Um, and I was really lucky. I'm based in South Africa, where esports is still relatively small. I mean, I think South Africa is the biggest in the region in, in terms of Africa, but it was still really small and there weren't a lot of opportunities for hosts and, and commentating. But I got spotted by uh, Paul Red Eye Chilona, who is who was at the time one of the, the biggest names in esports. And he offered to, he actually told me I sucked, but that he could help me get better. <laughs> and he offered to help me. And, and we spent a couple of months on the internet going backwards and forwards, him watching VODs, giving me tips and tricks. And from that, I ended up signing with his agency Code Red and got my first job uh, at Gamescom, uh, Gamescom uh, in Germany, where I got to host for ESL. And from there, have had an opportunity to fly around the world. So I've been all over. I've been to Europe. I've been to to Asia, hosting uh, desks and and being involved in esports. And I've got to work across a multitude of titles. So I've never really specialized in in one. Uh, and I've done Overwatch. I've done PUBG. I've even done Splatoon for Nintendo, Super Smash Bros. Um, so yeah, I've I've had I've had the opportunity to make. My passion a full-time job that's that's awesome that's that's really good so like i don't know if you're aware like we host the uh, i guess we host events we host esports events but primarily we're like a nerd culture community nerd otaku and the nerd culture community here or the lifestyle i guess is very much just burgeoning like it's still in its infancy i would say and um i would say it's only now starting to become somewhat of a viable business per se. So the South African market has always kind of been like a, I don't know, like something that can show us what the next step is. Um, so I'm curious, like, what what was it like going from like, like when you started shoutcasting, was it always like a viable career option when you started or did you have to like grow into it? It definitely wasn't a viable career option. And I think even now in South Africa, despite maybe South Africa looking like the sort of the gold standard on the continent, it's still such a new industry. But when I started commentating, shark casting in esports, that was not a, that wasn't a job. You know, you got to work. There was one event a year. If you were lucky, maybe two or three, you got to work those events. And if you were lucky, you got paid. You didn't get paid a lot. If you were lucky, you got fed. Uh, and even then, uh, sometimes you didn't get fed. So oh, wow. a lot of people were paying to get to the events themselves. So when I started, no, I started because it was fun. I didn't ever start because I wanted to make it a job. I, I started because it just seemed like a fun thing to do. I'm not the best player, but I'm very passionate about games. And and I could watch games and I loved the story. I loved the stories of the players. And that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to tell those stories, which is why I picked up a microphone. And 
because of that, I just started doing it. It wasn't, it was never something that I, I did where I went, this is a potential career. I did it because I loved it. The fact that someone then came and said, I could help you get better and I could potentially get you work overseas where this becomes a viable career was was interesting. But again, I also, when I started working with Red Eye, it was never really a, again, I just never thought it would be a career. And I think for the first few months of me doing esports, it was something that I did on the side. I had a full-time job. I took unpaid leave. And when it reached a point where my bosses said, you spend less time in the office uh, than you do on the stage was when I, I left my job. But it, it definitely wasn't a career. And even now, I think, I think anyone will tell you whether you're based in Africa or in Europe where they have a, a very built up scene, commentating and shout casting is very, it's a very difficult industry to turn into a full-time career. I'm very lucky that I've been able to do it, but I know that a lot of other people in very developed areas in the States and, and Europe, they even struggle. So it is quite competitive. And I do think anyone who's going into shark casting needs to remember why they're doing it and it needs to be for the love of the game and the love of the players first and foremost because there are some months where there's no cash coming in and you you need that passion to get you through yeah and no, I, I totally totally get that um i just want to i guess double back to the to working with uh red eye what prompted that like what event was was, was that at and what was that process like and why do you think he like picked you like to, to mentor you so there is one big event that happens in south africa every year um well that did until COVID hit called the rage expo which i believe is the biggest gaming event in the southern hemisphere it's this huge event in this big expo center and they, they have all these stands and all the video games get launched and it's the first time you get your hands on the game and then they have these stages where they do these esports events and before uh, this was the first year that the esports events were on the main stage before that they always used to be held downstairs in the basement where like no one could if you didn't know that they were there you would miss them but uh, a telecommunications brand in south africa threw just a ton of money at this event and i do think it was too much money too soon but that's a, another topic completely they threw this huge event uh, it was called the telcom vs masters they had a million rand prize pool which i think is just under a hundred thousand dollars but was still the biggest people had ever seen mm. everyone was very excited and they flew they actually hired red eye and flew him into the country to host this event and red eye said i want to work with some south african talents and that was how i got on to the job uh, is that they needed a south african host and the truth is, I, I'm never, I'm, this is always a tough one, but I'm aware that the reason I got hired was because I was a woman uh, and it was very, it was very much a, a white male cast at that point and they desperately needed some sort of diversity. Mm. Um, and so I got the job. I was not qualified to be there by any stretch of the imagination. I was so inexperienced. But when you get these opportunities, you grab them. Um, and I worked with him for the weekend and he gave me a lot of, he gave me a lot of tips. He gave me a lot of tricks. Um, he, he helped me through those three days and he kind of lit a fire in me to improve. In terms of choosing me to mentor, I, I don't think it was a choice he made. I think he offered to help and I wasn't the only one. He actually offered to help everyone. I just think I was one of the few who potentially listened to him 
and put into practice what he was saying and then continued to bug him after he had left. <laughs> so when he was back in the UK, you know, continued to reach out, continued to ask questions. I actually went to the UK for work and met up with him for, for a lunch, chatted a bit more. And I think it was less about him picking me and more about me just continuing to 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 speak to him and, and fight for the opportunity. I think a lot of the time people will say, I'll help you. And then we sit and we wait. We expect them to to come to us and give us everything, but they're busy people. So I think anyone who had met him that weekend could have reached out to him the same way I did. I know a few who did. Uh, and I think that that was really where it was. It was it was less about sort of picking me. We also have become, you know, we became friends after that as well, which um, I, I do consider him a good friend and, and a great mentor. And I'm very grateful to him, but I think he he's happy. And a lot of, I found this with a lot of, people that are on top of their field they're more than happy to help you but you do need to go ask them and you need to ask them for specific help you can't just say can you help me you need to say can you help me with this can you take a look at this and I think that was the reason I was able to get that assistance from him that's that's really cool and that's 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 very good the next question I want to ask I wanted to ask a bit later on but since you brought it up it's kind of a question and a, and a comment I guess women engage right like considering like we all know what's happening like with Activision Blizzard, the, the lawsuit that's happening. And today there was a Polygon article on Fulbright Games, the guys who made Gone Home and Tacoma, and how like their co-founder was gaslighting the women in the company. And like what you brought up saying, you felt that you weren't the most qualified, but you were hired kind of, you, you assume you were hired as a diversity hire and stuff like that. Um, I guess my comment is, I know a lot of guys who think they are quote unquote unqualified just because they're in the space, but they're, they're really not as qualified as everyone else. And I think just the lack of opportunity given to women and all marginalized minorities, uh, let's say if in the States or whatever, I think that it's just, I guess, a lack of faith or a lack of opportunity, I guess, or lack of being in the right space or an assumption that they're just not as qualified or passionate about the, the work. And I guess we can see it in like your success, right? Like you got the opportunity that everyone else had, as you said, and you took it further, right? Like, cause you were given that opportunity. And I feel like, um, I wish that happened more often, you know, like, uh, allowing for uh, women specifically to be given these opportunities and now I guess even leadership roles because I think it's just like you're 50% of the population right like it, it's just it's just the way it should be just even by the case of randomness I guess I suppose that was more of a rant but like um, what is what is it like right now in South Africa in the gaming scene is it do you feel things are pretty balanced? Is, is it still imbalanced? How has the reception to your work been? So before I answer that question, to go back, so this is something I've spoken about, all of this stuff on interviews so many times um, about, and I always make the, the, the comments exactly like I made to you, where I said, oh, I knew I was a diversity hire. I've never unpacked this, so you're going to get me unpacking this. I was creating gaming esports content uh, on a YouTube channel. Not great content, doing vlogs and stuff, having a good time. And it turned out that the 
the head of public relations and marketing at the telecommunications brand at the time was a very successful woman who's gone on to to hold really big positions in, in a multitude of, of big corporates um, who had who had had to rise up in those positions with under very similar circumstances where women weren't necessarily treated as equal so she had been through that and she was in charge at the brand that was sponsoring the the public relations company running the pr for the events uh the accounts uh, director was a woman who had gone through very similar things and had risen up to be account director and when it came time to choose the talent they told the tournament organizer that they wanted they wanted a, a woman there because they felt it was all men and at that point there was maybe one other woman in esports and so the tournament organizer said well go find women then you know we weren't really um didn't really give them options and they found my videos they believed in me they offered me the the, the opportunity to host alongside red eye i explained that i didn't think i was qualified i think i'd done one event before that and they said to me, we understand that you're not, but we're giving you the opportunity. So either you can take the opportunity and do a great job or you can turn it down. And I, I think that that was the, the thing for me is while I wasn't qualified to do it and while I, I really wasn't very good, by giving me the opportunity to try, a couple of things happened. So the first thing that happened was I do think while I wasn't qualified, I think I held my own on the stage. Looking back, obviously now, knowing what I know now, I can watch that and cringe and say, oh, that was horrible, that was horrible, that was horrible. But at the time, I think I rose to the occasion. And it also gave me an opportunity to work with a lot of people who have since become mentors like Red Eye. So I think that the fact that they gave me, they fought to have that opportunity and then chose when the opportunity was available. And this is really important because we say diversity hire and it implies that they just went and picked a woman off the streets or they just go and pick a person of color off the streets or whatever else. No, of course not. Mm. They looked and they said, this is someone who's passionate about this. This is someone who wants to do this. Let's help them get there. And now when, when we fast forward four or five years, I am other than Trevor Quickshot Henry, I am the only South African that has been paid to be put on a plane and flown to another country to participate in an event. And, and I think that that all comes down to those two women saying, you know what, we know that if we give someone who's passionate about this the chance, they can do something with it. So the term diversity hire, like I said, implies that you weren't, that, that they just pick someone random just because of, you know, just because they have boobs or, or just because of the color of their skin, not at all. I think that they looked for someone who was passionate in a minority group and i'm really grateful i'm upset that five years later it's not happening more i think i think it's changed a lot i can only talk as a woman obviously i can't talk um for for other marginalized groups but i have seen a change in specifically in south african esports where there's a lot more women getting into the scene a lot more women being given opportunities and a lot more women in positions to create opportunities for other women but I do still think we have a, a very long way to go. And it's frustrating to me that, I mean, I use the term, but it is frustrating to me that there's an implication that if you get hired, if you are a, if, if, a, if a company decides they want a more diverse lineup because they want to speak to more people and make more people feel welcome, 
that someone who gets the job shouldn't is getting it over someone who's more qualified. I think sometimes someone who gets the job might be less experienced. But their passion means that they could go on to bigger things down the line, if that makes sense. I'm like rambling yeah. so much now. No, that that does but I'm make. But I'm hoping that does make a lot I'm of hoping sense. it made some sense. Yes. It, it does. It does. It really does. I'm 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 glad that they trusted in 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 you and in the passion because I'm I'm a big believer in passion. <laughs> that might be a a self indulgent thing because I'm very passionate. But like I I feel like some of the best work or best stories like best athletes come from passion yes there's talented people but if you have like a passionate person who's willing to put in the work more often than not a lot of good stuff will come from that and i, I guess i'd say like i have sort of benefited from that like i write articles like for games and for anime and my first pitches were about being a black nerd right so but from that like you i took the opportunity to like talk to these editors and like ask for help ask for like advice and stuff and they are super super willing to like um give advice all the time so i guess just kind of like reaching out to the listeners like if you are passionate about something and um you want to do something just kind of reach out a lot of people if you're honestly being genuine are super willing to help i have to say like i watch like i subscribe to your youtube channel and like i i like your series where you talk about different topics mostly kind of like in an educational like um here's how this kind of works in the industry kind of thing and i think those are very helpful i'm i'm, I'm wondering like is, does that come from your desire to grow the esports professional community in south africa for sure so that came about I mean, it's four years overdue, but one of the things I struggled with when I started was I didn't find, when I talk about the scene, I'm talking about all the players and the people who watch and the fans, but when I talk about the industry, I'm talking specifically about the people who who work in esports, either to put on tournaments or to write or to whatever, do whatever else. And I I found this the, the industry to be, the South African industry to be quite clicky and, there was this weird competition that existed amongst everyone. Um, and no one was very forthcoming with information, which was completely different to what I'd experienced in in my dealings with people in esports in Europe. People who did this as a full-time job, who had hundreds of thousands of followers on social media, who were going and working on big stages. When I spoke to those people, like you said, they were so helpful. They, you know, if I asked them questions. They, they were more than willing to give me the information, but I found the South African industry to be very unwilling to, to assist and to, to have conversations and the harder conversations, they, they just weren't willing to address. And obviously with COVID, I've been stuck at home and, and the series that you're talking about, Tech Girl Talks, was, was just me wanting to, to talk about those issues and give some insight as someone who never had insights and who had to kind of bash their head as they went mm. and who now watches new people come into the industry and not have that insight. And I, I sort of want to say one, yeah, let me, let me try and share to, to maybe give you better insights into how this, how this works and how to operate within it. But also two, 
something that was bugging me a lot and, and I think it's happened really sort of I always say it was it was the COVID era where everyone got really angry online so everyone was super flamey and shouty about everything and and every serious conversation that happens and I'm not just talking about gaming now it's anything in the world the moment a serious conversation happens we can't just talk about it um where we share different opinions and, and have we start shouting at each other and calling each other names and it gets very angry and what I wanted with Tech All Talks, I'm very passionate about esports and gaming. It's, it's my job. It's something that I love. I wanted to have those conversations without alienating people by shouting at them. So the hope with that is that I could have a, I mean, one of the episodes was a very serious conversation about the LGBTQ community and diversity in esports. Um, there's another one that, that, that I'm doing about specifically sexism. And I wanted to have those conversations in a space that maybe someone watching who didn't quite understand why conversations around diversity were important would not feel if they, they wouldn't get aggressive and start shouting they would actually listen and maybe change an opinion because i feel like sometimes just talking to someone in an honest way and just instead of shouting about it sort of showing them why you feel a certain way can help and it was Another episode I did was the death of the gaming journalist talking about how media had changed and why we, you know, you get angry, but actually look at how it works. So those topics were simply just because I wanted to start that conversation, but also, yes, to like, I want to create a space where we're more women, more people of color, you know, um, if you're part of the LGBTQ community, I want you to come into esports. Esports is very white male. Let's be fair. Like, yeah. Um, and the truth of it is, I feel like I know that people like we see all the media about how big esports is, but I'm like, imagine how big it would be if all these other communities felt welcome here too. Um, and that's kind of where the the concept of tech talks came about was just wanting to talk about things that I was passionate about and and you know hopefully do so in a positive way. Yeah, no, for sure. It's it's been well, I like the, the series and it's been super helpful for me as well. So <laughs> it's definitely helping um, even more than just the I guess South African scene. So that's there's a recommendation for you. <laughs> that makes that makes me feel I'm really really grateful because that's all I wanted to do. If I've helped one person with them, then it was it was completely worth it. So I'm I'm really I'm really happy to hear that. That's awesome. No worries, no worries. Pivoting off the what you mentioned about the South African esports scene being quite clicky. I noticed that um, as an event organizer, like uh, before COVID, it, we're trying to expand regionally, like to invite more esports people from South Africa, from Zimbabwe, you know, from Kenya, because that's those are kind of the connections that I, I had. And I noticed exactly what you are mentioning, where it's like, information or access is kind of withheld when certain details have to be um, lined up. Like, where do you think that comes from? Is that just a, a case of fear of competition or like not wanting to collaborate? Like where, where, why is that? I don't know. I, I don't know the, there's a few things. I don't know the answer. So. I think that there's a fear of competition in the same way that you would see, you know, big tournament organizers, the the global champions, if you like, uh, of esports. They don't necessarily engage with one another. They're not sharing information. You know, they they they're running businesses, and ultimately they they want to make money. So maybe it's a competition thing. I think in smaller regions, uh, and especially like on a continent with uh, like Africa. 
I think there's very little to go around in the sense of money um, and whatever else. So sometimes I feel like everyone is is very, though they'll never say they are, are very conscious about that and are desperate to be the first big one, if that makes sense. Yeah. And because of that, they hold their cake very close. And I actually, I mean, this was something I spoke about on Tech Gold Talks where I, I kind of said that with smaller regions, I feel like there's this cupcake on the table and everyone's fighting over the cupcake. So they're just grabbing as much of the cupcake as they can get, which is very little. It's like a couple of pieces of, like it's a small bunch of cake in your hand. Yeah. As opposed to all just sitting around going, okay, cool. How do we, like, let's all chat about how we make this cupcake. Because once we've all got the recipe, we can go into the kitchen, we can all make our own cupcake. Um, and then we'll all have cupcakes. And then maybe we can make cakes. And then hell, at some point we can open a bakery. Um, which I think was how esports was born globally, where it was more community orientated you know people traveling to different arcades to compete against one another it yep. was all about the you know it was it was about the privilege and the honor and then it slowly builds into what it is i, I feel like because 100%. it came yeah i think because it came to south africa and africa later we missed that we missed the community side um and jump straight to the oh we see them overseas with big stages with millions of dollars and we want that too but we forgot that one we don't need to copy overseas. Like Africa has its unique rhythm that we should be using, in my opinion, and do our own thing. But also too that like there's there's a whole host of social, economic, and, and political issues that exist here that are going to not allow us to to do that. So let's figure out a way to do something cool that's our that's uniquely our own, working around those. But yeah, so I mean, I don't know what the answer is. I think that's just how it goes. Um, and I mean, I think we're all, I do think what you said about fear of competition is the big one as well, you know, um, a bit of FOMO, maybe fear of missing out. You don't, you don't want to give someone else the upper hand. So it's, it's a combination. Of course, at the end of the day, esports for a lot of people is a business. So that's another thing. I mean, when you run a business, iPhone's not giving their trade secrets to Samsung. And, and I suppose <laughs> that's how people feel. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a combination of all of those things. It's also, it's not. It's not unusual in any growing industry. This is common. So I think it's just part of the teething. Um, but it's sad. I just think that, you know, collaborating, playing games together, that's what it's supposed to be about, right? I fully, fully agree. I really feel like um, for a growing industry like ours in esports, if we collaborate more and make the, the market larger, the amount of money that will come from that will be bigger than whatever is available now and the growth will be will be more exponential than the current levels that it, that it is now you know what i mean like if say um the next big i don't know pubg tournament was not just limited to sa if it was just like the whole southern africa and all the southern african event organizers were like let's make this as big as it can be as diverse as it could be i'll put in all my resources make sure that all the zambian the top Zambian PUBG players will be there and you know uh, the Zimbabwe and esports organizers will be like we'll bring our guys make sure that we you know are there or whatever the market suddenly for sponsors it's bigger right like it's larger and maybe the money that will come from that won't be as much but then the next tournament can be organized by one person from SA but they'll have access to the entire region because of that one event. That's kind of how I look at it, but I, I, I guess that's being a bit too <laughs> idealistic. 
I don't think that there's anything wrong with being idealistic at all. So, yeah. no, I mean, in a great, in the perfect world, I understand there's certain things that come into play with like sponsors, disputes and things like that. But in a perfect world, I do think just working together always helps. And I think that if you're confident in what you do and you're confident in your offering, then you have no problem supporting others that do the same. 100%. 100%. So I want to um, switch to um, the scene over there. Like what are some events that you've done that first of all you enjoyed that you feel are growing um that you're proud of like just the scene and your own work so it's hard for me to mention events i think if i think if i had to pinpoint an event that i'm proud of it was being involved in the first ever red bull hit the streets and subsequently being involved every year since then uh, and hopefully again this year red bull hit the streets was such a cool concept to get uh street fighter players uh, in a cool setting, give them the opportunity, the winner would fly to Japan. So I got to to host the first Street Fighter, which was just incredible. Rebel shut down a street, uh, actually had the players in the street playing. By the second year, they've in, they had included Tekken and the the player that got to go to Japan after the first year, Jabby M, he learned so much. He, he got to meet all the players there and improve. And I, every year that event gets bigger and I think it gives opportunity to a group of players that were maybe ignored before, uh, mm. not ignored, there were always events for them, but really put them in the spotlight. So I'm very proud of that. And then I think, I mean, I'm really proud of the work that I've done. I, three, four years ago, I got the opportunity to start writing for Red Bull Gaming. So they wanted uh, South African and, and African voices to talk about gaming. And I got given the opportunity to come in and write about esports. And one of the things that I've, I'm really proud of is that I've been able to tell the stories of so many players who've gone on to just be huge ambassadors for, for South African esports. So the player I mentioned, Jabby M, I got to interview him and tell his story be just before he won Hit the Streets and then mm -hmm. follow that journey of, of him getting on a plane and going to Japan. Uh, there's a young player, the first ever Red Bull athlete in Africa, actually, Tabo Young Savage Malloy. Mm -hmm. I got to I got to do an interview with him. I think I was one of the first that got to interview him. Another player who the first ever African player and South African player to qualify for the FIFA E World Cup finals, which unfortunately they've now cancelled because of COVID. But he was Julio Beast Bianchi. I did one of his first interviews and then I've followed his story so far. So I think I'm most proud of that because I I've really enjoyed being able to create those narratives. I'm very grateful that Red Bull gave me that opportunity, but being able to tell those stories first and then follow those players through. So there's there's nothing better than, and he'll kill me for even bringing this up, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, Tabor, Young Savage. Uh, when I interviewed him the first time, you barely speak to me. He was so shy. He didn't <laughs> want to talk to me. He was super like nervous. He'd give me these like one, two word answers. And then at the end of last no sorry the beginning of this year i sat down to do an interview with him and i actually got really emotional because i said to him i when i met him he was a kid you know when i got to tell that story he was this young very shy kid and now he's a man and he's been through so much so many great things but also so many heartbreaking things and he's matured and he talks in such a mature way and i just i felt so honored and privileged that I'd I'd had a role in his journey mm. um, and been able to to at least play a small part in it because that's what I love to do. Uh, I think it's never been about me. It's always been about telling those stories. Someone like Beast, um, 
you know, and and his journey is it's been so great to tell. And Goliath Gaming as a whole, who both of those players are assigned to, like being able, I, I think I. I, I wrote about this organization when they started and being able to see what they've been able to do with these players and, and how they've built that family. All of those things, I think that's what I'm most proud of is, is having a role in telling those stories and hopefully in a small way, helping them get to, to the place that they are. Um, that's, that will always be the thing that I'll take away. I mean, you know, if I had to leave esports tomorrow, I'll just remember that I was, I was able to share those stories and, and share them with other people who are passionate about gaming. That was what I got into this for, and that's what I love to do. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I, I read some of those pieces, and it's really awesome getting to see the growth and, like you said, the storylines. Like, I'm a big fan of uh, certain esports and just general uh, general sports. The way I sold some of like my friends on esports is. Uh, I would tell them, honestly, I wouldn't even tell them like about like the game. I'll just tell them like the storyline. So my go-to was always uh, Justin Wong's journey, like from like how he started and when he won that Marvel vs. Capcom 3 with the really like terrible team. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Yeah, like basically telling the story of like how he was like a god in Marvel and then like he just was coming out third and second and fourth and and he stuck to his guns with that team and like that storyline is what got them to watch esports initially they're like why are you watching these dudes you know like there's the initial it's kind of hard to convince people to watch other people play video games professionally like it seems kind of corny to the uninitiated but it's always been easier telling the story the storylines of these I'll call them characters, but like it, it really does feel like a a movie is playing out in front of you, right? And even real sports or whatever, like football, people like football because of the quote unquote characters and the storylines, you know, like it's all those storylines. That's what makes sports awesome. And I think it's really cool that you get to write that stuff and expose it to the world and uh, yeah, help esports grow. My my question to that is have you noticed the general audience attaching more into esports or is it just or is the growth coming from just general gamers because i know even some gamers aren't into esports so where do you where are you noticing like the growth coming from and is it growing at all i do think it's growing i think esports is a niche of gaming and that's something we forget a lot of the time right so not every gamer is an esports fan not every gamer wants to be involved in esports and that's okay I do think esports is growing and I do think it's because of stories like Young Savages, like Beast, uh, someone that I, I also had the privilege of, of telling her story. And I think she's been on your show, Queen Arrow. Yeah. I mean, th- it's, it's people like that who those stories are so captivating, so interesting to you don't have to you don't have to be interested in esports to be captivated by that story. And when you hear those stories, you then you then go and you want to watch esports. You want to see what 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 are they talking about? Well, who is this person that I've now attached myself to? I want to go see them, and I do think that's how you grow it. Uh, much like you know, th- this is the interesting thing. Like you mentioned, the real sports. I was like, there's a lot of people who who don't watch football at all, but they know who Cristiano Ronaldo is because yeah. his story is fascinating. Um, 
and obviously you know he's extremely talented but he's an interesting character same with Messi um and I do think that that's how how the scene grows is is we as media as broadcasters need to tell interesting stories the gameplay has to be good but that's on the players but but for us our job is to tell incredible stories and and to captivate people with those stories it's why i got into it and i always say it's important to remember that you're not the star of the show actually i didn't say that red i said it to me back in the day but i stand by it uh you're not the star of the show your job is to create the star of the show and i think that if we as developing regions focus more and more on doing that that's how we grow it's not only how we grow esports i think it's how we grow nerd culture as a whole 100 100%, 100%. i'll definitely keep that in mind because that's kind of the goal of nerd otaku to grow nerd culture as a whole and i really do feel like it is uh growing in the mainstream mostly thanks to like for here in zambia i would say like the mcu and like netflix because um netflix we didn't have access to netflix until they released it globally and i noticed that once that happened more people would just stumble upon say i don't know one punch man or i don't know the witcher right like look at how big the witcher was um if i had if i had to explain to someone what the witcher was before netflix i don't think they would watch it it's so nerdy like it's nerdier than lord of the rings right like it's it's like a niche within a niche but i guess the access has helped uh nerd culture in general grow so i think that's super super helpful for sure for sure I've got an, a question from Robin. He sent one in, so he's he's chipping in, even though he's not here. Uh, he's asking, "What is it like dealing with the pressure of being, say, live on stage, right, and not wanting or trying to not to pay attention to, say, making a mistake, or if you have made a mistake, knowing that it might become some meme or something? Like, do you ever think about that? Do you just like blank that out? Do you like? And I guess I'll add on. Um... How, do, how do you deal with ne- uh, negative? feedback because being on the internet obviously that 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 will come along and <laughs> yeah how do you deal with that i mean some of the stuff i've done has become meme worthy so, so i mean i don't know so the thing about being live so i love live shows i hate doing scripted youtube videos i hate doing scripted stuff i love being live there's two reasons one i love the thrill of the fact that it is live mm. so it's knowing that there is that if you make a mistake that is it that is where you are uh, i find that quite thrilling which is weird i'm i'm obviously just a horrible masochist <laughs> um but but i like the idea that that it could go completely wrong and i do find that the adrenaline i get from that makes me better uh, if i know it's pre-recorded i just don't feel like i put the same amount of passion into it which sounds absurd but i like how it has my brain firing on all cylinders i love how the only thing that i can think about or focus on at that point because i'm pretty much all over the place the rest of the time is that uh, and i pride myself on on getting it right and doing a good show live and not being reliant on anything else so i think i feed off of that and i suppose to an extent i feed off that fear um So there's a couple of things. So the first thing is a lot of people presume when you do something like this it must be because you're immensely confident. I'm not actually confident. I'm very insecure uh and I'm very just very insecure and somewhat shy. So I think that because of that uh 
it makes me a little bit it, it kind of it, it helps me in two parts so the first is is that it, it kind of like i said the the fear of messing up because i'm so insecure drives me to be better but i also think it's helped me come out of my shell a little bit and learn to laugh at myself because mm. once you've made a mistake live and everyone's laughing at you and you can't take it back you, you kind of have to learn to just roll with the punches so it makes you a lot more it, it's taught me to just move forward. So I always say you just need to, you can fall, but you got to fall forward. You can, you know, you can fall forward and then you get up and you keep moving. So how do I deal with it? You just, you learn, but don't get me wrong. There's been times where I've made a mistake and I've sat in a hotel room and wanted to cry because I was, I was so upset. And on the second question, how do you deal with negative feedback? Um, I want to tell you that you, you know, you learn to ignore it or whatever, but you don't. I mean, I've, there's been things that have been said that have been very hurtful in chats um, and have, have upset me. But what I try and focus on is I do, I, I don't read any live chat comments while I'm doing the job. I'll only read them afterwards. So I, that way, if I can't see them, they can't hurt me. Um, I've always been a believer that criticism you should always listen to you just don't have to you don't have to do anything with it so i'm always if someone criticizes me i'll look at it i'll read it and i'll always say can i learn from this and if i if i can't learn from it that's fine it'll hurt me for a couple of days and i'll move on or i mean i say i move on i'll hold it forever and i'll always get upset <laughs> about it but i'll push it deep down inside uh, but i do think you can learn sometimes sometimes people are critical of you and we we don't want to hear it so we don't want to hear it because it hurts but sometimes if you if you can read behind read between the lines you might find something there where you go oh actually i could improve there um so yeah it's it's a mixture i think the short answer is how do you deal with it i don't i, th I think it causes me huge amounts of mental issues that i'll probably have to spend a lot of money with a shrink on at some point um but for now i'm just you know i just push it down into my stomach and pretend like it doesn't I'm a desperate, I'm a desperate people pleaser. So I'm just desperately trying to please people. So you, it does hurt a little bit, but I also think that that comes with, that comes with the territory. You want to put yourself in front of a camera people are going to have an opinion. So if you can't take that opinion, you should probably not put yourself in front of the camera. Yeah, no, well, well said. <laughs> Finding a lot of parallels with myself there, but yeah, yeah, well, well said. <laughs> Um, I wanted to ask you something else. When it comes to like esports shoutcasting, right? Um, how do you manage to do so many different games, right? Like, cause even watching, like I watch Dota two and um, like a couple fighting games, Street Fighter, Tekken. I used to watch Marvel. When I watch, I play Overwatch, but I can't watch Overwatch esports because it's just incomprehensible to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm dumb, but like. Even as a viewer, I find it difficult. How do you manage to shoutcast different games and understand like the intricacies? Like, how do you, how do you manage that? So I always watch top level play. It's the first thing I do. Um, when someone comes to me with a new title, before I play the game, I go and watch the best play it. Um, and <laughs> I listen to, uh, I'll watch the best play and I'll listen to what they're saying. If it's on their stream, when the player is talking, if it's a YouTube video, if it's a VOD from a past esports event, I'll listen to what the commentators are saying. And I'll try to watch as much of that top level play as I can um, to get different opinions on how things should be played. Then I read up on the meta. So I make sure exactly what's in, what's out. Then I'll read 
I'll read more than I'll watch. I will read so many articles um, because there's so much on the internet from from players and from people that are passionate about the game to to get different opinions of how they feel maybe a, a particular gun's recoil is or how a particular hero works with a certain other hero. And I'll read all of that and I'll take notes and I'll put that all together. And then from there, when I watch, be able to pull on that information and see if it applies to that. Obviously, playing the game helps a little bit as well. You have a better understanding. Um, but I do find talking to to top players is the easiest way to get into a game. Asking them the questions, learning about that. It's it's really... I do think that if you're a top-level player and you can commentate, you're probably the best person for the job. Um, but when it comes to jumping around from, from game to game, it's just remembering the, the sort of the top level play, like I said, and then also finding for me, my commentating style is a bit different. So there's different types of commentators. Some are analytical, some are play by play. For me, I like to exactly what we spoke about is, is weave my stories about players into the commentating. Mm. So it's cool for me if I can tell that story through the way they play. Uh, so I do try and get to know the players beforehand, pick up those interesting stories and then weave those into the commentating as well. I'm by no means the best though. So I mean, I wouldn't take my advice on how to commentate. I just created a style that worked for me because unfortunately, when you are in smaller regions, you are not privileged to choose one title and stick to it. There's just not enough opportunities in that title. So you have to expand and you have to be able to jump around. If you speak to a lot of esports professionals, they'll tell you, you choose your title and you stick to it. So you can become extremely knowledgeable in it. And if, if the situation in our region was different, I might've done that. But unfortunately for me, I needed to be a little bit more nimble and be able to move around a little bit. So that was the style that I adopted, if you like. That's very impressive. I think for people listening, they probably don't understand how much homework reading different games meta is. <laughs> like that is a lot of work. Like I, it is a lot of work. So ish, congrats, dude. Like that's crazy. <laughs> It's my job. Like I, I'm hard work. What do they say? Hard work trumps talent. And I feel like I'm not the talented, the most talented. So I have to work a little bit harder. But I mean, I think that there's a lot of casters that are naturally just really good. They can jump and they get the game, um, and they're great. But for me, I have to do the slog beforehand to get it right. So that's just my lot. But I do think that putting in the work. And if you see the the top commentators from around the world, they they arrive to events with like binders of information um they're just full of knowledge so i just think working hard like that is and and putting in the work beforehand is is what you need to do uh, but i still there's still lots i could learn and there's still lots i should probably do one day i'd like to be in a position to choose one game that that would be um something i'd enjoy doing i think my main for like that that would be my thing where i'd want to you know narrow down onto one game but like i said until esports is a bit bigger in africa that's that's not an option for us, so we just keep going. Yeah, what what game would you pick if you if you had the, the, the chance to? Ooh, you're gonna get me in trouble. <laughs> um, I want to say FIFA, um, because I've I've really enjoyed my FIFA experience, but it would be probably FIFA and maybe a battle royale title. I do feel like battle royales. Or something that I'm, I'm, I don't like. Ironically, I don't like playing battle royales, but I thoroughly enjoy watching them, um, which is so weird. So, 
I think it would be maybe a, a battle royale or a FIFA, but like I think by the time that 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 decision comes, where we could choose a specific title to focus on, I'll be too old and I'll be doing something else. Um, so it'll probably never be something I have to worry about. Do you really think that the, the concept that you've mentioned of aging out? Do you really think that's gonna like that's gonna be a thing? Because I, I like just today, like um, Keith Stewart of the Guardian, who I've followed for all my life as a gaming i'm one of those weird nerds who like as an 11 year old used to read game pro so like i followed these games journalists for a very long time and keith stewart was celebrating his 40th birthday today and he's still the gaming editor at guardian do you really think that you will age out of of doing this or is that just part of your life plan or something so i think it's a bit different i think if you're a journalist and you're writing um there isn't a time. I think the problem with being in front of a camera is that, especially for women, is unfortunately there is societal things that are put on us where, and I mean, I think, Paul, I think even Taylor Swift spoke about this at one point, uh, which is that at some point everyone goes, oh, you're too old to be there. Um, and that is, I don't think it's its the same for men. I think men can keep going till, you know, they could be in front of the camera till they're 40, 50, 60. But I feel like women, there's a point where for some reason people are like, oh, you're too old. Uh, I hope it changes, but I'm also a realist. So I realize that at some point it may be a, a situation where they say, oh, no, you're too old to be in front of the camera. And in which case that's fine. Like, you know, I'll, I'll find something else. Uh, I don't like it. But to answer your question, I definitely think it is something that happens to women um, that are in front of a camera putting their face anywhere. So it's, it's, it is what it is. I don't like it, but I also have to, like I said, be realistic about it. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Like, like that sucks. <laughs> Hopefully you can like... It does suck, right? The... It sucks. It really does suck. Like, and just to go a little bit off topic, like... I'm, I'm a big movie buff, I love movies. And there's this age, it's slowly changing, uh, thankfully, but there's this age of women that's just invisible, like 35 to 45. Like there's no yes. stories, like like they just disappear. Yes. <laughs> and it's, it's like- It's insane, it is insane. That's just so unfair. Like what happens, like they just, women in that age age in Hollywood just disappear. And if they do make a story about a woman who's 40, They'll either cast someone who's older or cast someone younger. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? It's it's so it is exactly that. That's that's what it is. It's very frustrating, and it's also like it's it's. I mean, we could go on about this forever, but like, yes, it's it's frustrating and it sucks. But uh, like I said, I'd love it to change. But if it doesn't, you know, you, you have to be prepared. So I'm prepared. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I have another question about like. Uh, doing say esports interviews uh, with esports players that for me that's like one of the worst <laughs> parts of watching esports <laughs> because i don't know if esports players just aren't media trained they are so and this isn't even on the on the interviewers i think the media people do their best to make this work but it's just so stiff from the competitor side is it a stiff or like cringe like <laughs> how do you deal with like an esports player who's i don't know are they too shy are they just stoic like what what's going on there 
So this took me a long time to to deal with because in the beginning I thought it was the interviewer that made them cringe. So I thought that as as you do when you're new to something, you think that you know better. Uh, and I had some cringe interviews of my own. And then I started to realize. I think as I sort of the the more I worked, the, the more you realize that like esports players are there to play. That's their job. They they're there to compete. Mm. For a lot of them, being in and, and this isn't this isn't just esports. For a lot of people, being in front of a camera is horrible. Which I know is ironic considering the the world of social media now. But for a lot of people, they don't want to talk on camera. They don't want to be on camera. They feel very self conscious. They're very insecure. They're scared. They're going to say the same thing. With esports, even more so because ninety percent of the time, English is not the first language of the player. So you imagine how terrifying that is if you are German and English, or, I mean, it's German, um, any language actually, like any African language, maybe any Asian language, like English is not your first language. Now you've got to stand on a stage with a camera in your face and a microphone, knowing that there are a bunch of people watching who think it's hysterically funny to take clips and turn people into memes. And you have to try and answer these questions and you're a bit shy, like it, all of that, the the horrible feeling you must have, and I think that's what leads to the somewhat cringy, awkward answers that you see. Is it's a it's a self confidence thing. It's a little bit of a fear. I think all the media training in the world doesn't help sometimes, um, especially if it's not your first language. I do think if organisations did more for media training, that would be great. Um, but I think for the most part, it just comes down to the player being just uncomfortable in the situation. So there's a couple of things that people don't know behind the scenes where maybe you, I think if the player has a chance to speak to the person interviewing them beforehand or is given a copy of the questions so that they can prepare their answers, that does actually help. Um, just because in their mind, then they kind of know what's coming. I think that's the first thing, but that doesn't always happen. Um, and I think the second thing is the interviewer needs to to kind of read the room. So sometimes you just need to keep it really short. I'll always this always makes me laugh when people in the in, in the chat will complain and say that the interviews are shit because the questions are are boring and it's the same old questions. And I was like, sometimes you do that because it's easier for that person to answer that than you to try break into the game. Um, so it's not the interviewer being a terrible interviewer asking boring questions. It's simply the interviewer going, you know what? This is the safest route for me to follow with this person, and it's going to make them feel the most comfortable. Makes sense. Makes sense. So yes, interviews are really hard, and they're my worst to do. I'm not going to lie; I'm terrified every time, and I feel like I mess them up so much. Are there any? Because I'm sure there's some like recurring interviews we'd have with like certain players. Are there any that you that over time you're like, okay, we're slowly forming some sort of relationship or rapport, and we can get better. Oh, I mean, I, I mentioned him earlier, Young Savage. Mm. Like, we have, he's such a rock star now. And like, now when we do interviews, they're so good. Like, even in front of camera, they just, I'm like, this is so awesome. But I know him, he knows me. We've, you know, Beast as well. So a lot of the players that I've known for a long time, when they get to know you, it's like, it's like chatting to a friend, right? Yeah. Um, they know that you, they, I think that's the other thing is that your job is to make a player look good if you're interviewing them, right? That's your job. Um, but I think the players don't always know that. But once you've shown them that that's what you're trying to do, they're a lot more trusting. You can ask, you can be a bit more cheeky with your questions because they know that you're not trying to do it to show them up. Um, but obviously it's it's difficult 
when you move from event to event to event, you don't necessarily have an opportunity to build up that sort of rapport. Um, when you're in the same title, you do. Uh, but obviously, when you're moving around, it can be difficult. Okay, so I just wanted to, I guess, close it off with some fun questions. So, um, what games uh, are you playing at the moment? Like, what's what's something that you're what's something that you've enjoyed in the past year? So, a game that I became obsessed with and then refused to work in. So, one of the things I struggle with is to have fun with a game that I'm working on um, in the sense that if I'm working on an esports broadcast playing the game feels like studying so it's it's not fun anymore um, but a game that that the last year I just became obsessed with was Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege mm -hmm. uh, I think I played it like every night for four or five hours I absolutely loved it I then worked a siege job and I haven't played it since but that's besides the point. <laughs> that was that was definitely the game that's kept me incredibly busy. And then also, ironically, Assassin's Creed Valhalla over December. That was like the only game I played. Um, I loved that one. And I've never really enjoyed the Assassin's Creed games. But Valhalla, I spent many hours on. Uh, so those would be two. I've also dabbled in Valorant this year, which I really liked. I actually enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, I'd say Rainbow Six Siege became became my small child for a very long time. And like I said, then after I worked an event, I, I didn't play it again, which is wow. disappointing, but like, maybe I'll maybe I'll jump back in. One event just kind of ruined it for you. Is it really that, <laughs> is it that intense? No, I mean, there was various reasons. So I think that the first reason was, was the fact that it was then work. So I was consciously starting to watch things. You start watching things a little bit differently. Uh, you get very annoyed because once you've watched enough pro players, then you realize that you're rubbish <laughs> and you get very upset because when you've analyzed and you know how the map is supposed to be played and you know how things are supposed to be done you can get very cross with yourself uh, and then also my friends just got really good and then before we used to just play and and talk rubbish to one another and then they got good and it annoyed me because I am competitive and I wasn't the best um, which is absurd because it's a team game but whatever and then I just was like oh no this is, it was becoming, I was getting cross playing and I was just like, this is supposed to be fun. So we take a break, but I will definitely be back 100%. I actually dabbled in it last week, Saturday. I played it on a stream and I realized how much I missed it. I got some good shots in as well. So I felt a bit better. Uh, so yes, I will definitely be back. <laughs> I mean, you definitely should. It sounds like a, a shame missing out. And as, as is kind of a tradition, I guess, with this podcast, me being the big Assassin's Creed fan that I am, I want to get into Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So I haven't played Valhalla yet. What is it about Valhalla that got you hooked into it, apart from like the other Assassin's Creed games? Like, what? Why did you give it a chance, and what made you stay? I don't know. So I mean, there's there's also circumstances. So I suppose it was you know we we're in lockdown. We we can't really go anywhere. We can't really do anything. Mm. So it was just a grindy game that you could spend hours doing, which was, you know, fun. Um, I've, I've had this conversation with a lot of Assassin's Creed fans and they get very upset with me because apparently they don't like Valhalla. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not a real whatever. Assassin's Creed game. <laughs> no, everyone's like, it's not a real Assassin's Creed game. The side quests are, are boring. They haven't thought about this. They haven't. I liked it. I don't know what it was. I liked being a Viking. I thought that was fun. Yeah. Uh, I liked the axes. I liked the combat of it. Um, I just, that for me was, was quite entertaining. The story was fine. It wasn't gripping, uh, but it was fine. Uh, made me giggle, you know? I think it was just, I think certain games 
come into your life. I just actually, I think it is a beautiful game. And I don't think people give credit to the people who make these games of how much work must have gone into making that game. Um, you know, but I suppose this speaks true of, of various Assassin's Creed games, but just so much effort and detail. Those little things like, it's so cool when you, you know, you're, you're in your boat and you're going down the river and everyone's singing and you're looking around and it's just so damn pretty. You know, that for me was was really good in a time where there, there didn't seem to be a lot of prettiness in the world. I think that that made all the difference. But yeah, I think it was just a relaxing game. It was fun, took up lots of time. I had nothing better to do. I couldn't leave my house. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's what it was that, that I really liked. I think it's less about the game and more about the time, you know, of, of where you are. But I do know most Assassin's Creed fans just disagree with me. I think they're wrong. I think Valhalla is lovely. And I played the expansion and I'm going to play the next expansion. Uh, and I'm going to to keep playing. Though I don't play it the way everyone else does. I don't do all the side quests. I do just enough to level up to the point that I can beat the big bosses. And then I carry on with the story. So I'm, I'm basically every Assassin's Creed fan's worst nightmare. <laughs> That's me. I'm just glad that, that more people are playing Assassin's Creed. I'm, uh, I think Assassin's Creed fans, and I guess we can speak for it. I can speak for, for for them, for us. We the things we like about the game, or the things we're pure about, are like you know, like stealth and the story and the characters and the locales being in a certain area, whatever. We forget the stuff that makes it so exciting and enticing in the first place is that these locales were not in, in the beginning they were not like places that most big video games uh went to you know like uh palestine or you know like the specific brand of ancient rome and putting so much detail into like you mentioned the detail i think we've gotten so used to to that that we expect it and don't really marvel at how awesome it is um so yeah i mean it, it's cool that more people are playing assassin's creed i i like that so yeah I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying assassin's creed hopefully you can try some of the older ones they're quite good probably dated a little bit but yeah but worth it anyway maybe i'll yeah i'll maybe yeah. i'll dip my feet back in and see how it goes yeah and yeah just i guess to close it off is there anything that uh I guess you'd like to say to close it off and, and, and all that. I mean, I think I just want to say thank you. I, I really, I mean, we've spoken a little bit and your passion comes through. And I think that it's so important throughout Africa that we do more conversations like this, that we create more content. And I know it's tough because I think we see everyone overseas and we've got these content creators that make all this money and they do all this, you know, they get these dream jobs and we think how, you know, cause you, you're having to put in so much of your free time to do this, but, keep doing it and it was it was such an honor to be on this podcast um I've I've listened to a couple of your episodes and I just I'm really grateful that that you thought to include me and I'm really excited to see how you grow in the future thanks so much thank you for coming on it, it really was an honor to talk to you <laughs> um I'll be looking forward to more of your episodes I noticed you launched uh your own podcast so I'm definitely going to be listening to that um is there anything else that you'd like like to plug Okay, so I'm TechGolzA on the internet, and you can pretty much find me everywhere except TikTok. There we go. That's my plug. <laughs> awesome, awesome. All right, thank you very much, Sam. I hope you enjoy your evening, and uh, I guess more siege. Get back into it. <laughs>
gonna go play some siege there we go thank you so much <laughs>